You know, it's so difficult to understand what it means to be homeless. My wife and I, we we call it nomads. We were actually homeless for a period of time. We like to use the term nomads. Our guest today really is an expert in the homeless. Now, he's done a lot of things, college professor, producer, director, a lot of things. But we're going to have some deep conversations about what we can all learn from the homeless. Join us on today's episode. Welcome to Seat Go Create. We redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry, sharing topics, stories, and conversations that allow us to rethink how we live, work, and lead. This is your host, Tim Winders. I'm a performance coach and author who specialize in helping executive teams and entrepreneurial leaders maximize their potential. We want to hear from you, our community of Seek Go Create. Please go to seekgocreate.com. Give us your email address so that we can connect and learn from each other. We'll make sure that you never miss an episode. And we also give away a lot of bonuses and merchandise to our listeners. You can be a part of that. So make sure you do that now. Go to seekgocreate.com and give us your email and you'll be part of the community. Today, we have Glenn Dunsweiler as our guest. Glenn is a filmmaker, producer, public speaker, and a former college professor whose documentary, Why Homeless, is available on Amazon Prime, and his book, Things I've Learned from the Homeless, is available on Amazon Kindle. We're going to discuss both of those, but I'll have to tell you that his book, A Degree in Homelessness, Entrepreneurial Skills for Students, was what originally interested me in talking to him uh, before anything else. As I researched his background, though, I realized that we were going to have a lot of cool things to talk about. So, Glenn, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. This is fun. Yeah, great to have you here. So, so first things first, this is my first question. I kind of prepped you for it. I always give the bios and we list out all these cool things, but I like to joke around with people if we can get on an elevator or if we're just got a short period of time and I look over and say, hey, Glenn, what do you do? What do you tell people when they ask you what you do? Uh, simply filmmaker, producer, entrepreneur. Uh, I like telling stories about success especially success out of poverty, growing people out of poverty. And I use filmmaking and video production to tell those stories. I teach other people how to do that. And I also do whatever I can entrepreneurially to make those endeavors successful, to figure out who the audience is, who would find a value in it and how to sustain it. Excellent. Have you have you always been into, I mean, you kind of lead with filmmaker. Have you always been interested in that? I mean, there's some people that you hear about, like, you know, J.J. Abrams and others that, like, they were doing Super 8 movies when they were kids. Have you always done that? I'd say storytelling. I started out as hmm. a, a musician, a drummer, uh, live entertainment, got into theater, got into acting, uh, but uh, and writing. It's all vehicles for storytelling. I've really found that storytelling is the best way to communicate ideas and thoughts and to have conversations. So that kind of just grew out of it. 
uh, I was doing live entertainment. I, when I was teaching, I was teaching lighting design, sound design, production management, and then filmmaking. My first film was in 2010, 2011, and started messing with film or video because I could ha access video around starting 2009 or so uh, with the technology being available. And so I just realized that this is another storytelling tool with live entertainment. I love live, but it's all about having it happen right there. And then once it's done, it's gone. And the one thing about video is you can keep that conversation going in perpetuity. And so that's kind of what I, I gravitated towards after, after live entertainment. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I want to kind of go back, though. I, I love one of the things we talk about here is kind of success and how we define success, redefining it. We do that a good bit. But I also know that many people are just born kind of leaning towards something. And you've said the word storyteller multiple times already. So I want to kind of go back. I mean, you could give your age and kind of go back sure. as far as you can. At what point did you recognize that you were a storyteller? I mean, and, and I don't even know if you have recollections of it. Well, I mean, was there a point where you go, you know what, I'm better at this than hitting a baseball. Maybe you're good at sports too. I don't know. But, but at what point did you say, I'm a storyteller? I would say that other people told me I was a good writer in school. That was the one thing that I wasn't good at anything. I was good at, at working hard and getting better. And the one thing that I had a natural affinity for, apparently, because people told me I should be a writer. I had a voice. Uh, the thing I knew I wanted to be good at and I knew I was had natural talent at was being a drummer. So my first thing was live entertainment, drummer, 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 musician, drummer, drummer, drummer. And people said, you know, you should, you should do writing. And then once my band blew up and I started doing technical theater as kind of the stability backup plan, I started missing that entertainment and started realizing, oh, well, wait, I do have something to say. Let's go back to that writing thing and figure out what way I can get my word out and not wait for somebody else. And that's where the, the entertainment production fell in, where I thought, oh, I could just write the stories I want to tell and get them out there. I don't have to wait for someone to produce it. Right. Yeah. Did you all, and, and this is something that, that I really was, it piqued my interest is the way you discussed and you kind of talk about the, you know, the, um, a degree in homelessness, which you're kind of educating students. But, but I, I, I think that part of your journey might also educate us on what you talk about in the book that we'll look at in just a second. I, I think some of those things, you know, we always hear people say, follow your passion, do what you're passionate about. Yep. But then there's also this, but how do I monetize that? And should I think about that? And there's this right. weird balance back and forth. And, and it seems like from what I read in the book, you kind of went on that journey too. Oh, uh, so yeah. tell, us, tell us a little bit about that before we actually really dive into that book. Sure. So my parents were teachers and I was trained to get an education and get a job. That's, that's what my parents knew. Get an education, get a job. Other parents just know get a job. Very few parents know 
understand the value you can bring to the world, learn how other people can value that and make money to sustain yourself, which is a different way of thinking. You know, um, we're waiting when we're getting a job, we're waiting for people to tell us what our value is. And I lived in that world. I lived in that world. And because my, I wanted to make my mother uh, safe and secure, I picked a, a profession that had insurance because she was constantly worried about me having insurance. So then I had an opportunity to go into education and teaching it, started teaching at universities. But I, I really, you're, you're kind of autonomous, but you have a job. Someone else is paying you for something. Someone finds value. And I had, I, when I made a, the documentary, uh, Why Homeless, I realized one, I didn't know what to do with it. How do I distribute it? And two, it, is it just, do I just spend money and then have another job to make money, to spend more money on things? How does this, how do I make money with this documentary or do I, or how do other people do it? And so I, my life was kind of falling apart in 2015. And so I just threw my hands up and I moved to LA and I said, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to find distribution for this film. I'm going to see if it actually can be sustainable. I'm going to see how I can make a business out of what I know. And so these past five years has been this exploration of learning business and then at one point when I learned it, learned a, a good amount of it, I just kept thinking, oh, my students need to know this because I, for 11 years I taught and they would all just say, Glenn, I don't, they would get to be seniors and juniors and they'd say, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know how I'm gonna pay these student loans back. I don't know how I'm gonna make money. I think I'm gonna have to work at Starbucks and sleep in my car. I just heard that over and over again and I didn't have a, a solution for them because I only knew how to get a job. Right. And so you had to find somebody that wanted to pay you for the thing that you wanted to do, which is, you know, good luck. I mean, it, it's harder now than it was before. My dad always says, why don't you just get a job? <laughs> like, well, that, that maybe worked in the sixties and seventies and maybe the eighties, some, especially you had an education, but now people are complaining about having to have a bachelor's bachelor's degree to apply for a job that pays them $12 an hour and $12 an hour in California is nothing. Uh, I know in other parts of the country, it's a little more than nothing, but it's still pretty nothing, <laughs> especially for a bachelor's yeah. degree. So it's yeah, that's kind of yeah, how I got into it. It's difficult to make that work. And it's interesting. So both your parents were educators. My parents were educators also. And Glenn, one of the things that I wanted to do growing up is I wanted to be a teacher and a coach, maybe in athletics. I wasn't great in athletics, but I liked it and also liked the lessons that come from athletics until this is kind of an interesting thing until I found out how much money they made. And then I realized we weren't they were both at the um, actually my dad was administrator with the state, but uh, but he started in high school and worked his way up. And so mine was really greed oriented. I decided to get an engineering degree, which then led to me starting my own business while I was in, in college. And so I think, I think everyone comes to realizations at some point in their yeah. lives. And, and it sounds like you were the same way. There's been kind of like these levels. 2015 seems significant for you. Right. Well, in the housing crisis in 2008 was the amazing eye-opening experience that the world I thought existed and that people were telling me existed doesn't really exist. 
and uh, I would say also being in the arts, we are told and trained and brought up that poverty is legitimacy. And that is in the back of our head. If we are not suffering, we are not doing it right. And if we make money, we are selling out. And in the back of our head, we always have that. And that handicaps so many students. And uh, I am on a mission to try and stop people from thinking that way because other students with other backgrounds don't have to think that way. And social services is also another thing. What, okay, I have to give up any kind of quality of life so I can serve my community. No, man, <laughs> it doesn't work. Because if you give up your quality of life, you can't serve your quality. Believe me, my, my joke is I almost went homeless trying to help the homeless. And then I really wow. realized, wait, whoa, <laughs> hold on. What am I doing here? I can't, I can't sustain this. I can't help anybody if I go onto the streets. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a systems engineer so that you kind of know a little bit of my background. And what I've noticed is that there's so many systems. You know, we, we've had a lot of conversation recently about systemic racism and systemic, you know, structures that keep people in certain places. And and I think this really is one of the things I got out of out of your book is that really a lot of what we see is systemic. It's built in. We are we're taught. And 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 even though I, I bet I think I'm older than you, I'm 56. But I mean, we were already kind of learning when we were growing up that there's not going to be this lifetime contract to go work for someone, get a job and be there the rest of our lives. But that's been 35 years ago that we started hearing that message. And it's still somewhat in the system that people think that, that they go to college, they get degrees, they get that education that you talked about. I mean, is, is that kind of what you're talking about is yeah, breaking from the systems that are there? Well, my parents, part of the baby boomer generation, they got a job started teaching, taught in the same district for their whole careers. So we're 30 plus years in, that's what they did. And I think in the private sector, it started to get more volatile and people started to realize that, but there's this still this huge public sector that there, there's this idea that the government will, it's like our social system is actually a jobs program. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we'll give you a job and you can have a decent paying job for forever. But our system is so hurt now because we've been chipping it away at it since after World War II for the, the immediate gratification that a lot of those jobs aren't sustainable and don't pay enough to, to, to keep up with the, the cost of living. So they aren't there either. You know, they're just falling away and we're really behind because we ultimately want the good story. We want someone to tell us the good story and business people know this and they will tell us the good story. You have to know when you're being told the good story and when you're telling a good story and what that means. You know, the, the, the whole thing of college, we've been feeding people that if you get an education, that means a, a bump in quality of life. It's automatic. And, and it's not automatic anymore. And what happened is uh, academia found a way to build a passive income. 
you know, I mean, you, you, the, the government started guaranteeing loans and the schools never had to worry about, they don't have to worry about how much their, their, their education costs anymore. They just keep bumping it up and bumping them up and bumping them up. And so you're getting, you're getting, and, and students are, are told to follow their passion. So I want to go get a degree in underwater basket weaving. School says, you know what? We can get those classes together. The teacher says, hell yeah, I can teach that, right? I'll, I'll, I'll draw a salary to teach you underwater basket weaving. And then the student is following their passion and they get out and they realize there's no market for underwater basket weaving. So yeah, I mean, we've gotten people and that obviously underwater basket weaving is the, the, the far example, but it, we have English lit people, we have musicians, we have um, social work people that just, we have even um, people that go into the, like, like the, the AA or the associate's degree, the trades, you know, where you're going to be a, an x-ray tech or something like that. Well, that's lucrative until there are too many x-ray techs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. One thing, one thing, yeah. And you have things like women's studies, which, you know, that may have been what I specialized in some anyway, which was, and not very well either, but, sure. but anyway, yeah, there's, there's so many things like that. You know, we, we had an interview recently with, uh, it was Perry Marshall. It was a episode that, uh, that released back in August and, and Perry's one of these deep thinking guys. And he, he made some predictions back in 2009 for the 2000 teens that rang true. And I interviewed him shortly after he had done some predictions for the 2020s. And what's interesting is six out of his 10 had already come true. And one of them was that he called it Occupy Sally May. And basically his prediction was that someone was going to stand up and say no more on the student loans. And they were right. just going to begin boycotting it. Well, what's, what, what I found intriguing was we did this interview after all the COVID shutdowns and lockdowns. And in my opinion, I think it would be so incredible if you and I could have a discussion and that would impact the whole post-secondary system. But I think it's about to crumble because it can't be sustained when it can't charge people to show up. Yeah. Have you put any thought into what's going on currently? I mean, we're now recording this in September and, you know, colleges, I think I read where 41% are not doing fall sports. Right. What is that going to do for those systems and all the money that goes in there? Right. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it it's it's a huge challenge. But my book came out in November of last year, and I've obviously been pushing on it. But then COVID hit, and I thought, well, I'm going to get help from visibility on my book because people who have been living in denial are finally seeing, uh-oh, this is true, <laughs> and and what I'm paying for is not, I'm not getting a return on my investment. So what the heck am I going to do where I can get a return on my investment? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's rough. You know, the, the business systems that we've set up that even schools have set up they're they're having, they have not had to justify their existence in a long time. And now maybe they have to, there's still, people still want the good story though man, people are still going to fight to go to Harvard. People are still going to fight to go to the Ivy leagues and the Ivy leagues are still going to charge, you know, $7,000 an internet class 
to have that Princeton model. And, you know, the thing is, I look in LA and I look uh, at stereotypically the writers that, that get uh, jobs in, in LA. And if you're not a star, you're a writer on a show, you came from an Ivy League because those, they put a lot of money into marketing. They put a lot of money into that brand. And that brand means legitimacy to everyone. So ultimately, I used to look at, at you know, when I was looking at grad school, I looked at Yale and I looked at their program and I thought, ah, oh, you know, I don't, that, that's not what I want. However, that Yale stamp always helps to people that don't know because they put a lot of cash into that brand, you know? So who knows? Who knows if they're going to pull out their good story, they're going to change it. I was telling my stepdaughter, take a year off. She just hit four-year college. She was just finished two-year college. And I said, take a year off because these, these instructors, it took me a year to build an online course without grading. And now these instructors are having to build online courses with grading in four months. University of Phoenix has built their whole system on online courses. And my my ex-wife took that and I got to see what that's like. That's different than a brick and mortar. That's a lot of effort and it's a lot of change and it's a lot of systems. And now you're asking brick and mortars to treat teachers in brick and mortars to do that in three or four months and make it work. You're kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's just no way. So yeah, we're going to see, but my stepdaughter said, nah, I'll do it. Cause she wants that good story. She's been told her whole life, Got to go to college, got to go to college, got to go to college. And she doesn't know what to do if she's not going to college. That's the other scary thing where we have not trained our students, our children to stand on their own two feet. We're waiting for them to pass these, these, these markers and those markers mean something. Well, what do they mean? What do they mean to themselves? What's that? Where's that training come from? Yeah, and it's uh, like something that we talk about here is it how we define success and what you seem to be doing is you're, I mean, I'll, I'll use my words, it's almost like from reading the book, you are begging people sure. to define success differently. So, yeah. so the, the title of the book, A Degree in Homelessness, how did that come about? And maybe just give us a little backstory on the book. Sure. I've gone through, I've got some highlights, maybe I'll ask some things. And then just as a little bit of a tease to the, uh, to the listener, I am going to later talk about your homeless, actual homeless video you did, which I think has some cool implications. I wasn't able to see it, but I want to ask about it. So, sure. so, but first let's talk about a degree in homelessness, the book, where did the name come from and give us a little bit of the backstory of that. Yeah. So I started doing, I started trying to build my own thing, my own empire, right? After 2008 housing crisis, when I made that documentary, because my bank was trying to kick me out of the house and I thought, oh, I've done everything right and I'm gonna become homeless. Oh, my idea of who homeless people are must be not right. And so obviously that that's a huge passion of mine and delving into who is homeless, how they get there, how you can get out of it, how we can, we can make support sustainable. That's been for 10 years, that's just what I've been doing. And then when I started learning business on my own, and figured out I need to tell this to students, kind of the teaching side of it, and also looking for another interested 
market into what I would be doing because I spent 11 years teaching. I would not like to walk away from teaching. I enjoy teaching. How can I continue to teach in possibly a book form or speaking form? So I wrote the book and I thought, well, I'm known for homeless stuff and it helps keeping that brand and it helps keeping it helps to keep me focused in that I am into growing people out of poverty or growing people into success. So that fits in line and I'm looking for a title. And I thought, well, why don't I just challenge my readers? Why don't I just say, yeah, you're going to get a degree, a degree in being homeless, you know, <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's just my, the, my first, uh, editor said you're gonna scare your audience away you have to change that title and i said it does no. sound harsh it does no. sound kind of harsh so it you is. held your ground but man someone's got to smack them in the face they're just they're just in denial and that's fine but i've seen what denial looks like and it's sleeping in your car and it's living in poverty and it's not knowing how, waiting for someone to give you worth as a human being. I don't want to live like that. I don't want anybody to live like that. And the, our system is set up for someone else to tell you how good you are. No, 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 no. Don't wait. Because if no one tells you how good you are, if you're not one of the lucky or fortunate or just whatever it is that, that, that gets you a job, a stable job, and your life go, doesn't go well, then you've got nothing to hang your hat on. And it go capitalism, I, one of my sayings, capitalism doesn't care about you. You know, you, you'll go down. If you don't have, if you're waiting for someone and someone's not there, you're done. So that was kind of where I came I, up with it. I, I did see, this is actually jumping ahead. I wrote down a quote that you had related to your why homeless I think video and was the solution to homelessness has to embrace capitalism yeah and uh, and I wrote that down to bring it up this might be a good time because because there's there's all kind of things going through my head right now because you are really really talking about something that I will term personal responsibility yeah it's kind of where you're 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 telling everyone they need to be responsible for their own success, whatever that path is. Yeah. And you know what? That is not really popular no. in our current culture. And why is that? Now, you, you actually stood up yeah. in front of a number of college students. So give us some insight. Why? What's going on? So you're a business person. You know that. The only way you can make money starts and ends with you. And you know that. And you understand what your market is. You understand how to um, show the value you have to people that may be interested in, in you. And you know how to grow that and sustain that. Um, we, we have, cause, because everyone wants the good story, other business people have said, I'll take care of you. I'll do that for you. And we let them, and that's good business on their part. They've, you know, you figure out the academics. Yeah, we'll totally do whatever you need. Or I mean, what, you know, Starbucks, we will give you joy in a coffee cup. I mean, I have a Starbucks cup right here. They have infiltrated the world, right? That's good business. <laughs> that's capitalism. But we have to know 
when they're selling us a good story because they need their business to prosper and when we're getting a good story to make us uh, save ourselves. Because the other thing I say is no one cares about you more than you do. And that's just, it, it never, you have to be responsible. But we have really savvy business people have found a way to make money by telling people that they are not responsible for themselves. And that's it. And we have to just call them on it and say, I get it. I know I, I hate to pick on Amazon because I love the idea. I, I think Jeff Bezos is, you know, he to watch him be, you know, the golden boy or they, they made fun of him in the late 90s. Then he became the golden boy. And then all of a sudden now he's a pariah because he doesn't pay taxes. But those <laughs> same people hate on him for successfully delivering whatever they want to their house, right? He figured that out. <laughs> but at the same time, now I'm going to say, okay, Jeff Bezos, my corner store is hurting. So I am going to get off my lazy butt and I'm going to take my COVID precautions and I'm going to go help my local community. Because as much as I love you, Jeff Bezos, and as much as I admire the empire that you've built and the ability that you have given for us to sustain in some way through this pandemic with more safety, I have to take care of myself and my community now. And I think that's, it, it falls back. The other thing about homelessness is my solution, not only embracing capitalism, but it's family and community because the downfall of of what has given us so many homeless people is the downfall of, of family and community. That's the socialism we have in this country. That's the only socialism we have in this country. And we have walked away from it. We have, we've said, you know what, when you're 18, you're on your own. Um, or I'm gonna have this kid, but I'm not gonna be responsible for this kid. Or, <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, I, I fight with you, therefore I disown you. Uh, or I will see the bum on the corner of my street and ask the police officer to do something about it instead of me going to that person and finding out how I can help that person in my community succeed. And so what we've done is we've just shuffled it off, shuffled it off and savvy business people here in LA, they put in a, a measure. So we, 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 we gained all of this money in this governmental pot for homeless sheltering. And none of it went to actual shelters to shelter the homeless. It all went into development costs. It all went into permitting. It all went into PR. It, it all went into giving money to people that already had homes. And yeah, they need jobs and we should keep them from going homeless too. But that money was to get people off the street, you know? So yeah. <laughs> the direct action thing, the community responsibility, the family, I just I've constantly talking about that and i think you do the same you come at it from your angle i come at it from my angle and at some point somebody's got to start listening because i mean from from my view living in los angeles we have third world problems in a first world country why <laughs> why this is we not shouldn't. yeah I, I agree but i i want to go back there's there's one thing that still it kind of nags at me and i think you might have some insight before we move to that big issue, which is homeless, and I want to I really find out 
I want to find out what inspired you to do the um, the documentary and all that you did. Sure. But before that, you you actually you were a professor. Yeah. And you had college students that came in. How long were you a professor? How many Eleven years? years. Eleven years. Okay. So you had, I'm guessing, 18 to 20-something-year-olds yes. come in front of you. And, and one of the things that I could argue, I could flip it around to the collegiate side and say all they're doing is providing what's being demanded by the customer. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think that's entirely correct, but I almost feel as if some of these students that are coming in, maybe a large percentage, are really just begging to have everything somewhat handed to them, maybe simple, maybe easy. And, and I, one of my, this is my negative mindset going here, is that when you write a book like you wrote, it, it's almost like just preaching to the, to the small number of people because most people want the easy way out. Yeah. yeah. Am I right or wrong? You saw all these folks. And, and if so, why is it that that's what they desire when all they right. come into your classes in these colleges? Well, I think it's a human desire to get, well, you run a business as well. What do you answer? You answer a starving crowd. You give them, you make it, you make whatever your product is so easy for them to purchase that there's no barriers, right? You're knocking down barriers to try and make uh, your sales, right? And so I think that always saying, yeah, I'll deliver that food to you is a, no, no business says, you know, it's gonna be hard work that you'll never make any sales, <laughs> you know what I mean? So. I think as human beings, we are, we are all, we already gravitate towards the easiest solution possible, the less friction. Uh, I, I started teaching. Well, when I started teaching, we were getting the, uh, the kids that had gone through elementary, the no child left behind years where mm -hmm. it was not teaching them to think for themselves it was teaching them to pass a test so you would give them the test you would tell them the answers they would pass the test and then that meant they could go to the next i had a student say i don't want to think for myself i want you to tell me what to do and i said okay we have to break that training and because of that i was a very popular slash very unpopular professor because i would say my job apparently now is to get you to think for yourself. I'm not even going to tell you the questions. You have to come up with the questions. What? You know, I mean, it was just, it was this mind flip. So I think that they've went and, and everyone, every generation complains about the youth, right? So I think it's three things. It's, it's just them being young and not knowing what they want. They're still needing guidance. They're, they're, they're constantly in a fight with, you know, they've got hormones and boys and girls and school and mom and dad, and they've got all this other stuff coming in on them. They don't know what, what the right answer is. And it's this no child left behind stuff that we, we sent children into the world of, we will tell you how to succeed. And, uh, and then I, I think it's this innate human need to make it as simple as possible and make it as easy as possible. And there are very few, we're all, we are all built with our own gifts and talents. 
And some of us can see through that and decide that work is what we want and working hard is what we want. And those people will succeed almost no matter what. Uh, there's a there's an inspirational speaker, David Goggins. He went through Navy SEALs something like four times. And he's one of these guys who's like, life is hard. If life is not hard, you're not doing it right. You know what I mean? Whereas like, he loves that friction. He finds inspiration in that friction. And I, I, that's a type of personality. That's not necessarily how all people are. And at the same time, I don't know that my, I'm, so I'm 46. So these young students would be, if I had kids, they would be my kids. I don't think we did a good job challenging them. I don't think, I think, I think we did an awful job. We, 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 we coddled them. We did not inspire them. I used to tell my stepson, you have to go hang out with the kids by the dumpster for a while. So you know what to do. <laughs> He's like, no, I said, get out and the kids by the dumpster. you got to figure this out. You know? Um, and I, we, I grew up in the you know, 70s and 80s where we were still riding our bikes on our own. We didn't have to worry about, our, our parents weren't worried about people abduct, abducting us, even though people got abducted. Our parents weren't worried about us needing to wear a helmet because, well, if, if you got hurt, that's your own fault. You know, they were teaching personal responsibility. They were teaching a harder life. And, and I think that generationally because we've been supposed to be giving a an easier life to the our next generation we trained our we trained a whole bunch of people that are not ready you know they just don't know they don't know how to car how a car works at all even though they drive a car like what they can't even see how it works because now we've engineered it to a point it's so fine-tuned that you can't work on it at least i could work on my 87 Toyota pickup that I inherited from my father. I could see the engine. I could see the carburetor. I could, I could see how everything worked and I could, my dad would make me work on it now. Good luck. So I think that, yeah, we've, we've engineered ourselves into this kind of wussyhood, yeah. right? Where we just, yeah, yeah. We're soft. We hate to use terms that snowflake and bubble wrapped and all that. But I, I do think there's this desire as parents for each generation for it to get for our children to have it a little bit better. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing that multiplied or even exponentially grown. And it's just kind of building. What what part of the country, where'd you grow up? Where, where was uh, your formative years? All, all California all the time, pretty much. So I grew oh, really? up in Sacramento and I was there until I was 24. And then I moved to Reno, uh, Nevada was my first job outside of college. And then went to graduate school in Kansas City. And then spent some time in on the East Coast and spent some time in Las Vegas and then came back to California, Southern California this time though. The, the reason is, is that the way you spoke, you sounded like, and you hate to use these terms, but you sounded like someone who had a lot of middle America type values. You know, when you hear sure. that hard work, pull yourself up, do that type. And, and again, that's kind of generalizing, but uh, have you ever had anybody else tell you that or? Yeah, well, my grandfather was a huge influence on my life and he came from Southern Wisconsin and he was a, he was an entrepreneur, but he was one of the guys, my parents told this story about him when he was maybe 10 or 11, 
he needed glasses and his parents were so poor that they couldn't afford glasses. So my 11 year old grandfather went to the optometrist and made a deal <laughs> at 11 said, look, you give me the glasses now and I'll pay this stuff off, but I can't see. At 11, what 11 year old is gonna go to an optometrist? So I grew up with that as an ideal. You know, my father always said uh, he, was, he was helping a friend of his rewire his car. And, and my dad told me the story and he said, I, I told my friend, you know, you're gonna have to make three times as much as I will to have half as much as I will because you have no idea how any of this works. And that just impressed on me as well, where, yeah, life is, life, life is supposed to be hard. It's that David Goggins, like it's, if it's not hurting, you're not doing it right. And then I did get in a motorcycle accident. I broke my leg and hip and I never liked exercise, but then, and I never really liked pain too much, but now I understand pain is a reminder that you're alive. So pain is good, you know, but how many people you have to be either that personality or you have to have these life experiences to really want that and look at life as an adventure. Otherwise, you're 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 rewarded to be afraid of everything, because if you're afraid of everything, someone has the answer to make you not afraid. Right. Someone can build a little capsule for you that you just pay them some money. Someone can give you a mask. You just pay them some money. Someone can give you a shot. You just pay them some money. Someone can, you know, build it, build it, build a better car with more airbags. You just give them some money, you know, and it's just, and you're just protected. And some people don't even think that the money should change hands. They just think that all should be taken care of right. on their own. Now, one thing that's interesting, you kind of brought up some of the current items going on. Oh, eight became very uncomfortable for us because we had successful companies that were all in real estate mm. and we were literally homeless a few years later um, and have rebounded from that. But to me, the times that we're currently in look like they could make a lot of people uncomfortable and they're going to have to meet some of that pain or uncomfortableness head on. What are your thoughts with just all this going on right yeah, now in fall so of 2020? So I remember 2008 very well because it's, it was my opportunity to look behind the curtain. It was not Oz, like I'd been told. It was my opportunity to yeah. first think, oh, this is all a rig. And then we've been told a lie. And people were going homeless. You know, you owned real estate. You know, your real estate was worth nothing. It went from a lot to nothing. I bought a house in 2006 for $395,000. And in 2012, it was valued at $180,000. So, and in Riverside, California, which is not prime real estate in California, it's the Inland Empire, it's deserts, it's, it, I mean, no slamming Riverside, You're, it's a great city. It's a great city, but it's not Malibu, right? <laughs> and so- <Yeah. laughs> You know, I, I think that that was this, this opening where I was seeing, and that's when I did my documentary. So I saw all these people just falling down, falling down, people that weren't supposed to fall down, falling down, falling down, people that had bought into the story of Oz, educated people. And I thought, uh oh, this is when the revolution happens. And I remember being in a harbor freight of all places it's a hardware uh hardware store yeah tool tools and tools stuff like and, that yeah yeah 
and they sold a machete for six dollars and i thought uh-oh machetes are six dollars and these educated people that are supposed to have these lives don't have these lives it's on like i'm waiting for the revolution well it didn't come people wanted the good story people wanted their stability people wanted they wanted and they waited and they waited and if you remember you know 2008 9 10 11 12 it was like growing growing brutal brutal little better little better push 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 okay 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 and by 2012 we were back to hardcore capitalism it's like yeah we made it you know and we're just going going crazy again you know and we're buying stuff and real estate prices are going nuts and people are buying more at starbucks i used to spend like twenty dollars a day at starbucks <laughs> What am I doing? You know, and so, and I went through, I went through 08, but by by 12, I was just so excited that I didn't have that anymore, right? So, part of me thinks, oh, maybe this is the revolution, but to the point, it didn't happen, and I was so let down on my prediction to the point where I started looking into revolutions and why they kick off, and really, it's food, right? Historically, if you can't feed your people, that's when people really have nothing to lose and they will overtake. So I think FDR was really smart and all of those farm subsidies, we will never run out of food. The system is set up that people will never starve the way that people do in, in African countries, for example. So I think the people in power don't have to worry about the revolution, you know? Maybe I'm wrong and maybe this is it and maybe some things will change, but I have a feeling because people love their stability. They grew up with it. They don't, I always say, you know, is it that bad? Because there's no man that's chasing you with a machete right now. So we got it pretty good in comparison, you know, and, and I think people, people, as much as they, as much as they are irate right now, they're not, I don't think they're going to do anything. I just don't. And I think, I think that if academia can figure out how to change their good story so people can actually allow themselves to buy into it again, we'll buy into it. We'll, you know, I, I mean, personally, I, I wish we could take more personal responsibility. I wish we could bring back our families and communities. I'm working towards it. I'm trying to make that happen. I don't know that people want it. <laughs> I'm not sure that they do either. And, you know, you brought up the food thing. I just did a cross-country drive or almost cross-country from Colorado back to Georgia. And let me tell you, there's corn everywhere. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of corn out there. If nothing else, people can eat some derivative of corn. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's everywhere out there. So I, I do. That's interesting because I've kind of had similar thoughts. I think you and I are down the same path. I've used the term reset since, you know, early part of 2020 when things started happening and we start seeing lockdowns. And I know that this is going to have a ripple effect through the economy that I think is going to be worse in 08 because yeah. we can't shut this economy down and it's still right. partially shut down. We have to function off 105% productivity month after month. It's gotta be growth and we just aren't seeing that. So I yeah. agree with you. So, so this kind of led you into doing some studies and research about 
the homeless. And I I was doing some research late yesterday and I didn't really get to check this out. So what I'd love for you to do is educate me and the listener on what you did. You've got a documentary, I believe it's on Amazon and some other things. So tell us what it is and then I'm going to dig in and ask a few more questions about it because I think it's relevant and I agree with you. It would be awesome if we could move the needle, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you and I are people that will push to always try and move the needle. And if we can get it moving a little, and if we can, you can just save one person, right? Well, honestly, one is better than none. So yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So the documentary was the first big thing I did. Uh, it's called Why Homeless. It's on Amazon Prime, and it's about homelessness across the United States. And it was on the back of the housing crisis, so in the back of 2008. And I went around and I interviewed homeless people and homeless service providers and, and asked them, what is happening? Who goes homeless and why? How is it, um, how, how can people grow out of that and become not homeless? And what do you want to share with the housed community? And a lot of it comes down to judgments. You know, I had a judgment that homeless people were this, mainly drug addicts and mentally ill. And drug addicts and mentally ill, mental illness comprise a component, but it's definitely not all. And addiction and mental illness is also a sliding scale. So are you talking anxiety mental illness? Are you talking smoking pot drug addiction? Are you talking full-blown heroin, can't stand up straight? And are you talking schizophrenic hitting people with hammers? You know, I mean, it's really a broad spectrum. And in the middle of that, you have people that got sick, that, that lost, got kicked out of their that lost a roommate, that lost their job, that are running away from an abusive relationship, that whatever happens, that got out of the military and can't cope with, they just spent three years killing people and now, now what? Now they're, now they're in a desk job in Ohio and they freak out, (laughs) whatever, they can't, they can't cope. So what do we do? What do we do with that? And so all those people, I always said that the population of homeless represents the population of the housed. So as many diverse people as we have in homes, we have that diversity out of our homes. And what are we going to do? And the big thing for me was the family and community because social services can't keep up. So it's, it's really taking care of people around you. And that we can get, we can get a handle on some of it. Um, so yeah, there was that was the documentary, and then uh, I wrote a book because people would see the documentary and they would say, "Well, what about? Well, what about?" And then they had all these. Again, it was like down to judgmental questions. Well, who are these homeless people, and why can't they just? Why can't they just mow lawns? My uncle said that. Why can't he just get a lawnmower and mow a lawn? I just said, get okay. a job. If they would just yeah, get so, a job, then everything would be okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that book really delves into these difficult questions about how do we handle this? Who are these people? And really, it 
it's also an opportunity for you to reflect on your own thoughts and feelings about who you think these mm. people are and what what is keeping them there. Uh, so there's that. And then I started doing YouTube series after that. So one of the things when I moved to LA, there are so many resources in LA, you know, so many resources to better yourselves. And one of them is public speaking where you get to look how to articulate. And I thought, mm -hmm. not only have I learned so much from the homeless, but if I challenge the homeless to tell me an inspirational story, that would be amazing for them. Not only do I say hi and remind them that they're human, but I actually say, you have something to give the world, please inspire us. And so I did this, this YouTube series called Skid Row Speakers, where I went around and I, I got um, inspirational, they're short inspirational stories from homeless, different homeless people. Uh, what else have I done homeless? So I, I, I started writing a blog where I'd, I developed this uh, manifesto <laughs> where I thought, okay, if I had all the resources at my control, this is the way I think we can get a handle on homelessness. And I just laid it all out. And so there's that blog up there. That's <laughs> just, you know, it's, it's all, it's all resources for people. If you start sure. trying to think differently. And then I did a TEDx talk about thinking differently about how, how we support people that are in homelessness because right now it's all nonprofits and they run out of money and or they spend the money on employing their employees they don't have any money to to help to actually so, to actually help i've done one quick question that that sure. just kind of jumped to my mind because i kind of the way i'm wired i like data yeah um, as best we can get and it's yeah. interesting in a world where we've got access to so much information we really don't have access to good data at times. Yeah. I mean, we're running, running across that this right now with the pandemic and, you know, people are assuming this may work, this may work, or there's some science that they, you know, that people are, but, but yet it doesn't seem to be working. So the question I have for you, and I don't know if you have this data, but maybe it's a guesstimate. Sure. How many actual homeless do you think you interacted with or came across or communicated with or did research what whatever whatever metric you'd like to use sure. because if i bumped into a homeless person and my world was one and i made a judgment like you use that term judgment and said oh this guy was whacked out on drugs so they're they must all be on drugs you to me seem like you've got a better indicator of that data tell yeah. us some about the data to, to give sure. credibility i think absolutely so my, <laughs> and i have funny stories about data as well so Good. my data first started when i was doing research original research calling nonprofits, mm -hmm. calling people seeing out how i could interview for this documentary because i wanted to make this documentary and i kept asking questions for nonprofits and and some of them were really blunt. They said, you're thinking about this wrong. And you're, you're looking for the blonde haired blue eyed, uh, white kid homeless. Cause that makes the best story, right? Cause that's the irony. Usually blonde haired, blue eyed, white kids are pretty affluent. And then that got me thinking, well, what is an affluent child? And a child is not affluent. A child's parent mm. is affluent. You take, that kid away from its parents, it has nothing. So it is poor, right? 
Then I was in Sacramento and I was asking police how they counted homeless. And a guy, just 2010, um, maybe they've changed their metrics. Police officer told me, shopping cart equals one homeless, tent equals two. <laughs> and I said, sorry? <laughs> shopping cart equals one, tent equals two. <laughs> And then I go on a homeless count here in LA two years ago, we're not even allowed to talk to people. We walk around and identify someone that looks like they could be homeless. Like they're hanging out at a bus stop and we don't think any buses are running or their backpack looks a little too big or they are mentally ill and they're talking to themselves. So we tick them down, right? And we're not allowed to stop. If we see a tent, we don't approach it. We just say tent. And we actually say, I saw one homeless person, one person and one tent and one shopping cart or whatever, but with no interaction, right? Mm -hmm. National Coalition for the Homeless is in DC. And it is one of the nonprofits that has been around since the eighties been tried to tried to really figure out some kind of data for people. We have to think people are filled with a whole bunch of variables. So we're not amoeba, right? We're not, it's not pure science. Like you can't put a person in a Petri dish. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's too many variables. So they tried to figure it out. And I, cause I was getting, I was started doing, I, I released my book and I had this big launch and I was getting radio interviews and people want statistics because people have, we have fed people that legitimacy equals statistics, right? You get some statistics that equals legitimacy. So I said, well, if I believe anybody, I'm going to believe national coalition for the homeless. And I, people are constantly asking me how many of those people out there are mentally ill and or addicted to drugs. So I called National Coalition. I said, I'm getting this question nationally. How, what, what do I do? I'm gonna, if I had an answer, the answer is coming from you. <laughs> and I'm saying it came from you. Because yeah. <laughs> you're about the best thing that I've seen that is stable and is actually trying. And I know, I know your motivations, right? That's the other thing. Whose motivations made these statistics who 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 made these statistics and what were their motivations because that is also a huge part of it right that's part of what we're seeing with the the covid statistics you know well where did it come from and what's their motivation for saying that yeah so are there they, dollars are there dollars associated with yeah, the numbers and there are or reputations very, or yeah. whatever or legitimacy right i was a i was a professor i work hard just for that title does that make sense? Where you're like, I need to keep that title and you have to work hard to keep that title. So that whole idea of, um, uh, Expert, publisher, expertise, well, and yeah, publish expertise, perish, yeah. right. As an academic, yeah. you either publish or you're out. So people are constantly publishing. So back to your statistic, national yeah. coalition for the homeless said as best as they can tell one third of the homeless are in the United States are, mentally ill and or addicted to drugs, which is, right? What does that tell us? That tells us nothing. This is a sounds huge, like a guess right? to me. It actually sounds like a guess. Well, <laughs> and if any, again, if anybody's going to have them, 
the statistics, it's going to be them. And if anybody's going to try to generate the statistics, it's going to be them. But I still have people ask me and I say, well, national coalition says this. And they go, nah, it's more. (laughs) Okay. Just because maybe. But but you talk to, how many do you think you interacted with or you or your team or that was putting it together? I mean, do you you have a feel for just, I mean, I'm even looking for a subset, even a small sample. I mean, if you talk to a hundred people, you definitely have more expertise than me. If I just bump into one guy on the street somewhere. So, I mean, I mean, do you have a guesstimate of your interactions? Well, okay. I'm going to throw it back to you. Are you looking Mm -hmm. for mental illness or are you looking for, drug addiction total homeless total homeless just the total homeless. i mean total did you homeless? talk to no the homeless numbers that you spoke with to to come up with your um you know some of the things you did for your book your your documentary um i mean i mean it's kind of like if i if i am going to talk to nba stars if I if I don't speak to any, I can't I can't really give perspective. Right. But if I interview forty of them, yes, I could give a little bit better. So I mean, I guess I, I'm trying to I'm trying to guess how 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 many people you interacted with that would be in the category of homeless. That would be in the category of homeless. Yes. Yes. Does that make sense? Is that well, a, is that a bad question? Well, because I. <laughs> Well, I'm looking for homeless, right? So they're all homeless. That's right. Does that make sense? So all, so everybody you interact with, so hundreds, and, thousands, or? Well, the documentary alone was, uh, I interviewed over 100 people uh, across the United States. So I was, and those probably, um, maybe a third of them were homeless service providers. So some of them had been homeless. Some of them had never been homeless. Some of them were kind of social worker types. Some of them were entrepreneurial types. Um, but then when I go out, you know, for Skid Row speakers or I go out trying to figure out just talking to my neighborhood people, I'm always going to homeless people. I know they're homeless. I, yeah. You don't. I don't ever say. Well, let, I take that back. I take that back. I take that back because I don't just approach people and say, tell me about your life. It seems pretty rude, right? Uh, so I speak to actually to a lot of panhandlers because I figure panhandlers, I panhandlers are like the entrepreneurs of the homeless, but they're not necessarily homeless, right? They're entrepreneurs. They're, they figured out a way to get some income going and that's by begging. And, uh, so I'll go up to those guys and gals and I would say 80%, 70 to 80 percent of them say yeah i'm homeless that's where i'm sleeping that's this is this is my story this is what i'm doing or they're a little mentally touched and i can tell they're not doing well at all um but yeah i don't the the way i talk to people the way i i i introduce myself or i say this is what i'm doing First, they, 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 they approach me. I, I just make myself available. And usually when I was do, doing the documentary, I had a, a camera over my shoulder, not pointed at anything. And so the people that wanted to talk to me were like, hey, what are you doing? And those are the people that I usually started a conversation with. And those were kind of the, 
the people that didn't mind panhandling, didn't mind hustling, or were just interested in life. Um, the ones that are quiet, you know, I've knocked on doors of, of vans that were, I saw a mother going in San Francisco. I distinctly remember going to like seeing a mother in a stroller and she was, she had in a large van, thought, okay, so she's probably homeless. And I asked if I could just talk to her. She's like, get away from me, <laughs> you know? So uh, definitely some of the rougher um, chronically homeless people will have nothing to do with me because uh, they're, they're over it. You know, they don't, they're just, mm. uh, one of them did talk to me in Kansas city and he said, I can do bad by myself. That's why I'm out here. So basically he'd been, he'd failed at regular society and found himself not succeeding and just went, well, at least I can fail on my own rules. I don't, I don't need to yeah. fail at someone else's rules. So yeah, I, 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 I don't, I still don't quite understand your question. Yeah, but, no, no, but I no, that's good. You, I, you did. You, I mean, you, you inter interacted with a, a number of peoples, which to me establishes the credibility. One of the things that I, I saw somewhere, let me read this. You said that you want people to be inspired yeah. by the homeless, but you also said that is hard. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting. I, I do, a, I do some work in ministries and and I work with a ministry that works with the elderly, those that have kind of been put in elder care facilities and left. I think the statistics we hear is right around 87% of all of our elderly have pretty much been tucked away. Probably a lot of them end up in the homeless world also if it weren't, and they would if it weren't for some of these facilities. And one of the things we discuss, because I'm a business guy, is we discuss how to promote the ministry. Well, we know that a picture, unfortunately, of someone who's elderly, first of all, we can't always use that, right. is never going to get the interest, and this is going to sound harsh, but I think you understand what I'm saying, of a picture of a, of a, of a child with a distended belly that might right. be in Africa. And right. if it comes to raising money and awareness, right. give me the child every day yeah, yeah. to bring money Mark in. Marketing my 101. <laughs> yeah, my guess is, is you're saying something similar. Is that why you say it's hard with the homeless or is it something else? I mean, why is it so hard to be inspired by the homeless? Well, it's prejudgment is the big, the big hump. Why, why would I get inspired by someone I view as disposable, right? Mm. And as or a lesser, failure or a failure, are we looking at them a as a failure? As lesser we talk than about me, success here, yeah. As uh, someone that's problematic, someone that's worse than I am, someone that you know that that's how we. In, I think we we unintentionally just view them that way, and so we look to people like um, celebrities or. Um, not Tim Robbins, was it, uh, Anthony Robbins, Anthony Robbins, right? The uh, motivation yeah, Tony speaker, Robbins. Yeah, Tony yeah. Robbins. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Someone that's bigger and bolder and brasher and a bigger smile. And those people we get inspiration from, not the guy twitching in the corner. How, how can I get inspiration from the guy twitching in the corner? And I, what I found is when you talk to them and you let them know that, you know, that they have something to offer, they come alive. And I've been trying to capture that. Uh, you always capture, it's always easier to capture someone with a, a, a smile on their face, even in, 
being gregarious helps. So people are more likely to listen. But once you even say homeless, okay, well, see, I give to charity for homeless. That's where homeless is in my head. I don't get anything from the homeless. I'm annoyed by the homeless. I'm saddened by the homeless. I'm angry by the homeless. Inspired by the homeless? What are you kidding me? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I what I'm constantly trying to navigate to figure out how I can let people know that there's a lot to learn from people that have lost everything. There's a right. lot to learn. Is is there you know, and we only have a couple minutes here, so this is gonna be tough. Is there a solution? You mentioned family, you mentioned community. Um, you also mentioned that, you know, they have to embrace capitalism. Sure. You know, I've always been a big believer as someone who's a follower of Christ and, and believe that the church should have played much more of a role and not necessarily allowed the government to try because the government obviously hasn't done, I don't think very well at it, but are, are there solutions? I mean, what, I know yeah. you wrote a manifesto, so just give us a yeah. couple here that sure. we need to try to redefine this somehow. Sure. Well, okay. I'm going to talk in business terms. We need to look Good. at a direct return on our investment to keep us inspired to continue investing. We need to see some wins. So we need to go after another business term, our low hanging fruit, right? There are all types of, there are all types of homeless people. You know what ones are really not happy with being homeless? Women and children children especially and women generally are not the I can do bad by myself people <laughs> they've been messed up in some way so if you embrace them and give them a way out they are usually really responsive to it you don't get much pushback now there is drug addiction and drug addiction is a hard thing to to wrangle with and that means work but there are people that take less effort to get off the streets. We need to get those people off the streets. We need to market the heck out of that. We need to make ourselves feel good about those wins. We need to put that in the checkbox of accomplishment to inspire us to continue on for the little higher fruit. And then the ones that are hard, that, are, that, that walk away from the program, we let them walk away from the program. We didn't leave them, they left the program because they still have autonomy. And that's one of the things that people get so frustrated about is people choose, I don't want, I ran into a, a few, more than a few people that, you know, churches, churches run a lot of shelters and part of the mm -hmm. program is going to Bible study. And in, for, for absolutely brilliant reasons. You know, you're talking, you're telling people, look, this life view, this community will help you and gives you hope and gives you stability and gives you a worth, makes you feel worthwhile. So if you buy into that religion, if you buy into that Jesus, if you buy into that Allah, if you buy into that Buddha, whatever it is, and you, you go with it, you run with it, you succeed. There are people that just want food. <laughs> And maybe they got their yeah. own Jesus, right? So they walk food, away from food Jesus. and a roof. Yeah. yeah and, and truthfully, that's not, that's all that Jesus did. He gave them food. He yeah. fed them. He didn't really say necessarily anything else. Right. So, so there good. are people that, that walk away because religion is attached. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I say, let those people walk away. There are more. 
and you just like just like in business you know no means next call next call and there's plenty more there's just keep going just keep going and looking for those wins is there a group organization government that has to be responsible for all this or is it the collective society that has to be responsible yeah i'm a huge fan of direct action is the best action and once you start getting a bureaucracy involved you're getting farther and farther away from direct action so now your efforts are paying for someone else to exist in that system you're not helping the person directly i always say i like back to business keep it simple like what gives you joy when you go to starbucks the coffee you go to Starbucks, you get a coffee, you see them making your thing in front of your face and it gives you joy and you give them money because they gave you joy and you get immediate gratification, right? <laughs> and you go back and you go back and you go back and Jeff Bezos keeps sending those boxes to your houses and it gives you joy, right? It's like Christmas every day, you're opening. So how can we do that with helping people because we don't do that now we don't get other than giving people socks and giving people food which absolutely helps sustain them but it helps sustain them on the street it doesn't help get them off of the street so what is that yeah. what is that immediate gratification what is that return on investment that we can see that we can build that's part of this entrepreneurial spirit that we need to add into this because we don't have that now and we need yeah. that. Otherwise, we just throw our hands up. How many years do you give to a charity and the the homeless dude on your corner is still there? So after year three, you're, you're thinking, all right, well, I haven't done anything. <laughs> what am I paying for? <laughs> so, yeah. Right, but, yeah. And, and even we'll go back to even the churches and all that. They have them right out front, but yet they're not ministering. You know, one thing that's really cool, Glenn, I love... I love when people's demeanor and their tone kind of goes up a notch or two when they're speaking about a topic. You mentioned earlier you're 46 years old. You obviously have been immersing yourself in this topic and business and other things, though. but you've been doing this now for 10 plus years. What does this look like? And again, we like to talk about the term redefine success quite a bit on this podcast. What does this look like in 10 years for you to say there's been success? And then maybe 20 years, I mean, 5, 10, whatever. What does success look like for you personally in this arena? Sure. So I'm constantly, I have enough material out there. I have enough ideas out there with all of my homeless stuff that I've done, I'm ready to put my money where my mouth is, right? If no one else is going to do it. I'm going to figure, I got to figure out how I can get myself in a place that has the resources to enable to enact some of these things, to try them and to make it public and to make it succeed or fail or to make it like, um, like a, a social ninja warrior, you know, where you're, you're, you're rooting for, for the guy, but even if he fails, you know, you're still <laughs> get up, do it again, do it again. That's where we need to be. And that's where I need okay. to be in this. So I'm constantly at this point knocking on doors in my state because my state in California, it's a mess and it's bedlam. And yeah, we have COVID and fires right now, but that just means more people homeless. 
because now we have the COVID economy kicking people out because they're not paying rent or their mortgages. So people are getting kicked out because they can no longer afford a place. And now their houses are burning down too. So we just have more homeless. It's just, hey, more for me to work with, you know? <laughs> and so I'm constantly, I, I just sent emails today to my representatives, my state representatives down here to say, look, this is what I am, this is what I've done. And I'm just knocking on doors. Um, I've been knocking on doors since the beginning of the year. Just with COVID, everyone is, they, everything tightens up. You know, they worry about themselves. How's people worry about themselves? Because no one cares about you more than you do. Right? And that makes sense. So we just, we, we keep going. So I think success for me personally in the next five years, 10 years is to really find a way to start putting these these ideas in action to see if they actually do work and to start getting the wins and to try to try to entice Jeff Bezos to figure out how to do public showers and cleaning the community because gray water is a and plumbing is a very expensive endeavor and only a superpower like Amazon can afford to clean up Skid Row in 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 LA, right? Um, so yeah. hopefully I have somehow figured out how to knock on Jeff Bezos's door. I kind of have already tried and I he's doing some stuff. I didn't know that I'm yeah. um, responsible for that, but I did send their PR someone, PR per people, some Good. stuff maybe about a year ago. I said, hey guys, think about this. You're about the only ones that could probably do something. And then he started doing something. I thought, oh, I did it. <laughs> Right. Well, I don't know if I don't know if he listens to our podcast. Maybe he does. I'm not sure. I haven't heard. But I know that there may be others that would want to connect with you, either sure. get information, get books and all that. Um, kind of as, as we wrap here, last few questions, we've kind of busted over our time a little bit. But uh, how can someone connect with you? Let's just say it's Jeff or someone like that. Yeah, and they yeah. wanted to reach out to you. How can they connect with you and get you know, access to books or, yeah. you know, your, your, um, documentary, go ahead and tell us that now we'll put it in the notes yeah. and then a couple quick questions as we wrap up. If you can spell my last name, I'm very visible. <laughs> so that's the, that's the key Dunsweiler. So my, my website is glendunsweiler.com. You can email me at glenn at glendunsweiler.com. If you type in Glenn Dunsweiler into Google search. You will see my book. You will see the movies. A lot of it's on Amazon. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. You made everything able for me to get to people. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it stuff is out there pretty easy. I, I work on my, um, what is it called? Your, my search engine, my SEO, my search engine optimization. <laughs> so if you can spell my last name, you can find me. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. What's next for you, Glenn? So during COVID, because I didn't get to talk to a lot of people, uh, my mind started working and I just thought I need to make a podcast that is not necessarily about homeless, but it's about stuff that that's social, that asking difficult questions, because I found that's what's successful for, for me. So in the past, month or so i've been making my own podcast called difficult questions with glenn dunsweiler and we touch on things like how covid how we can how the u.s can succeed how we can start winning through covid madness as i call it just this you know we're constantly fighting each other the second one was 
um, are are women objects and men resources? And I went, I dove into that because that's a really hard question. We always keep going back to that. And then this third, this third podcast is going to be on race where I just like start tearing it down to figure out really it, it's race. Whenever we start talking about race, we start insulting people and people get insulted and why. And right now it, it looks like it's nuclear energy. You know, it was made for destruction and we're trying to make it something good but every time we try to make it something good it just has so much impact that's just uncontrollable so yeah um, that's that's my exciting project that i'm doing and wow, i'm always that, just pushing on other stuff too those are some light light fluffy topics you're covering in <laughs> this your first is, you know wow I, mean, <laughs> I i love digging into those difficult topics because I'm not a difficult person. I'm really open. I'm really easy to talk to. I'm not judgmental. I've done so much work getting away from judgments that mm -hmm. that's what I think that is what I, that's my gift that people have said you have that I have that I can talk to anybody and everybody's at an equal table and I'm just asking questions with no judgment. And if I have judgment, it's, you can challenge me on it and we'll try to get through it because I really just want to get to the result. So, yeah, I mean, that's my, that's what I want to do. I want to build this thing where we can talk about these things and we're not into fighting because right now we're into the fight in the U S we're so trapped into trying to fight with each other for the sake of fighting with each other, which is the opposite of the way I want to live. <laughs> and so I'm really mm. trying my best to say, but guys, but God, no one's chasing us with a machete. No one's chasing us with a machete. Can we be kind Not to yet. each other? Not yet. Not yet. Can we be kind to each other before that happens, please? Yeah. So, yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you for that. Last question I've got for you is, we are seek, go, create. That's our title. Which, yeah. word, which word there resonates with you and why maybe above the other two seek, yeah. go create. Yeah. I think that that creating is something that I just always am going to do. I can't stop it. People say, you know, what, what, what do you need to do in life? And I say, I need to, whatever it is in the back of my head that says, you have to go do this now. You have to right? Yeah. you have to make this now. You have to try and that's, why I made the documentary. That's why I made the book. That's why I did the TEDx. That's why, uh, why I'm doing this, that, that podcast is just, I love it. It somehow makes me whole. And so, yes. And, and I create things by seeking and going <laughs> uh, original research. I call it people always, that that's another thing about statistics that just bugs me. Well, you have, have you done your research? And I say, yeah, it's called original research. It's not Google searches. I go talk to people. I don't read them in books. Books are valid, except someone wrote that book. Go talk to that author. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a, go to the source. The source, you cut away all of the, as many variables as possible. Because again, humans just have so many variables and we're so many components to make a whole so if you, if you go to that original resource, if you go seek that source and get the juice that they have directly, maybe it's, it's unfiltered and the best possible thing you could possibly get. Yeah. Yeah. That is so good. 
Glenn, I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast yeah, today. I totally me. appreciate the conversation we had about all the things that uh, we just went into depth with. If you're listening, I'd love for you right now to go to seekgocreate.com and just join our community. Give us your email address. That's the easiest way to do that. It's real simple. It's, uh, it's a banner on the top of the website there. And you're going to be eligible for, first of all, you're going to never miss any of our content. We're going to keep you updated. And, and you're also going to be eligible for giveaways and prizes and things that we do. So make sure you go do that. You can also find us everywhere you hang out, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, wherever that is. We are Seek, Go, Create. Make sure that you are subscribed and you're watching for our episode, our next episode that releases. We have a group of three guys that have started an app and this app is really really cool i've been married over 30 years so i don't necessarily need this but it is like the old classic dating game and it is it is so cool talking about the startup process and it was a very exciting conversation so join us next week join us for the next episode of seek go create